Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfland.com. That's exciting, and it's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And, uh, and hopefully you dads remember to get your kids to do something. Um, if not, it is now officially too late, and you will be in the doghouse for a little while. But uh, moms, please be forgiving. Um, but anyway, we've got a bunch of middle schoolers here with us today, and so I want to just talk on Mother's Day, nothing more appropriate, I think, than to speak about the importance of the family and so I just want to spend one uh, morning today, just the importance of the family. The family is the most important building block of society uh, by far, okay? It's more important than the government. It's more important than the education system. It's more important than the police, the firefighters, the medical system, the doctors. All those are obviously very super important. We're not putting down those things. We need teachers. Uh, we need doctors, we need a medical system, we need a government, we need prime ministers and MPs and MLAs and all that sort of stuff. It's not that I'm against those things, but by far the most important building block unit of society is not those government systems and not those all other wonderful things, it's the family. And uh, there's many reasons for this. I mean, first of all, government institutions don't have babies, last I checked. Um, uh, you know, police forces don't make babies, even hospitals don't make babies. Uh, it's in the family that babies are made, and some of you are going, where is this going here today? <laughs> Sometimes we just need to state the obvious. I mean, this is how God made things. It's in the family, it's in the family that we replenish human beings, right? Okay, so without the family, you don't have, a, you don't have the source. But not only that, and a nation dies out, but not only is it just, you know, physically and biologically the source of new human beings, it's also the place where those new human beings are raised and protected and nurtured in such a way that they can grow up to be uh, healthy, functioning members of society. That's not done in government inst institutions. And if you take the family out, and, and sometimes I think, and this, what this message really is, is this message is going to be a whole lot of thinking about the obvious, but when you, sometimes it's exactly the most obvious things that we miss. But if you take the family out of, out of, out of society, literally, I'm not just talking about, and again, there's a the physical baby part, but literally the society falls apart. You know, back in the 70s and, and 80s, and, and there's other stories I could cite, but in communist uh, Romania, Romania, a little country there in Eastern Europe, and in communism, they believe that the government is the most important institution. The, the government runs everything. The government knows best. In some ways, it's parallel to how our society is beginning to think more and more. But in communist Romania in the 70s and 80s, because of this feeling that government knows best, they took many kids out of homes and put them in government institutions. And there was tens of thousands of kids from little babies on up that were being raised in government institutions. And you would think, well, hey, as long as they have a roof over their heads, you teach them to read and write, you feed them three meals a day. These kids are going to turn out okay. They're going to, again, as long as they know how to read and write, right? That's how we often think. If they know how to read and write, they're going to grow up. They're going to get jobs. This country will function. And, in, and the fact of the matter is, you know, after communism broke down, um, when they went into these orphanages afterwards, the results were horrific. Because it turns out that human beings, kids, need a lot more than just, you know, three meals a day and education and a roof over their head, it turns out that as human beings, we're biologically wired to need love. We're biologically wired to need a mom and a dad. 
And so there's tens of thousands of these kids. It's one of the saddest things ever. And, uh, and so, the, of course, there's lots of research been done because there was so many of them. So they found 40% of these kids were diagnosed with a serious mental disorder. Is that not... I mean, again, you would think intelligence, mental health, that has to do with, again, education. Give them a good education. Give them enough food. These kids are going to turn out okay. Turns out it's, not, it's a lot more than just that. There are things that the government cannot provide for our kids that they actually desperately need. And you think if they have a smart mom and a smart dad, then it's just all genetics. Genetics means these kids are going to be smart. Turns out, actually, they need love. And without love, they cannot develop even with the right genetics. And they did studies uh, in, the, in the brain, the gray matter, that's the, the cells and the stuff of your brain, that these kids that were, did not have love, they had food, and they had education, and they had a government institution, and they had social workers and all of that, but they didn't have a mom and a dad to tuck them in and watch them play soccer and encourage them and discipline them. And actually the gray matter, it's actually we're physically wired for this in their brain, was sometimes 10% or more less volume than a child who grows up in a family. See, we're actually wired for a family. They've done research that infants must be physically held against the body for two to four hours per day in order for natural brain development to come to full fruition. We're wired for love. We're wired for a mom and a dad. Other research has shown that babies who are daily touched and loved by a parent gain weight 50% faster than babies who are not, even if the babies are fed the exact same amount of food and given, and all their physical needs are taken care of in the same way. We're wired. We're physically, physiologically, emotionally, and mentally wired to need a family. It's the way God made it, and no government institution, the education system, and we need all these things. We need teachers. We need governments. We need social workers. Not even a question. These are all important vocations. These are all important systems. Don't hear me saying that we're against all these systems. But my point is, in our society today, we are taking more and more power away from the family. We're taking more and more power away from the parent, and we're putting more and more faith and money and energy into these institutions. And the fact of the matter is, societies have, have survived for thousands of years without those institutions, but you can't survive without the family. Amen. You can't physically survive without the family. The single thing, most important thing you can do if you want to make a healthy and prosperous society is invest in the families. See, we keep investing billions of dollars. And again, we need to spend money on education. Again, don't hear me saying this is not an anarchist message. Bring down the government. Let's all rush out of here. And, and no, 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 no. Okay, we need, we need to spend money on education. We need to spend, you know, the, all this sort of stuff. But our society thinks the answer is pour billions and billions of dollars. Let's have more police in our police forces. Let's have more education. Let's have more teachers. Let's have more social welfare programs. That's how we fix society's problems. It's not how you fix society's problems. You can't fix society's problems through government institutions. We human beings aren't wired for it. The single most important thing you can do outside, we'll just leave the church on the side there because the two actually work hand in hand. I'll mention that later. But the single most important thing you can do if you want to build a healthy society is invest in the family. It's, it's nature is wired that way. And I looked up a bunch of stats this week. Those of you who want them, you can email me during the week. But there are hundreds of stats about what happens in a society, the more families you have, the more intact families you have, where there's both a mom and a dad in the home, it makes massive differences to people's health, to people's economic well-being, to crime, to every single thing. It's all rooted down in the family, not in a government institution. And so, for example, I'll throw a few up there, 
Moorhead, and this is all statistics. Again, I could look at Reams. We could spend hours here, and I could just quote stats to you. If you change families, you change the country. You just absolutely change it for the better. But more families, the more intact families, they did a bunch of research in the States, more, the more intact families you have in an area, the less crime. They found that at 10%, think about this, a 10% increase in the number of children living in broken homes in an area leads to a 17% increase in crime. So every time you break up a few more families and you have a few less intact families, the crime always goes up significantly. 10% increase in broken homes is a 17% increase in crime. That's a whole lot of police and jails and guards and all kinds of extra spending you got to do because the family is breaking down. They also found that kids growing up in broken homes or single parent homes were more than twice as likely to end up in crime than kid, twice as likely than kids raised in healthy families with a mom and dad. Now, of course, uh, some of you are sitting here today and you're a single mom, you're a single dad. Some of you kids are here today and you're growing up in a single parent home. These are statistics. I'm not saying here today you're doomed. You're not, you're, I'm here, well, I may as well go out here and break some glass because I'm in a single parent home. No. Yeah, I may as well go cause problems because it's hopeless for you. It's not hopeless. These are statistics. Lots of people overcome out of single-parent families. We have two single moms on our staff. This is a broken world. You know, people sometimes run out on their spouses and abandon their families, and it's no fault of the other person even. And, and there's just stuff that happens, and, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's hard enough to raise kids, two people, a mom and a dad, never mind one person. But the fact of the matter, so, so this isn't about doom. This isn't about you're doomed or you're bad if you're a single parent or if you're a child here today in a single parent home. But the point is that our society is built, the building blocks of a society, are the, it's the family unit. And if we would invest energy as a church, as government, as a society, if we would invest energy in families, we would change the country. That's how you change a country. So you can keep investing more and more and more and more and more in the government programs. It doesn't solve the problem. It's a bottomless pit. You always have to spend more because as the family breaks down, what these stats are saying is you would have almost minimal amounts of crime. If you had almost total you know, family across the board, most people living in intact families, you would have almost no crime. You would have almost no need for police. You would have almost no need for jails. You would have almost no need for a lot of things. Some of you would be out of work, which is really sad. And maybe you could just come and work at the church then or something. But we do need you as police officers still right now, so that's good. Anyway, let's move on before I put my foot any further in my mouth. Um, <laughs> healthy families don't just vastly reduce crime. They also vastly increase economic well-being and productivity. Nearly 80%, think of that, that that's, that's a, a massive stat. Nearly 80%, the vast majority of all children in, uh, in North America suffering long-term poverty come from broken or never married families, 80%. That's, that's a crazy stat. Essentially, you can almost directly tie poverty to broken families. Almost. Children born and raised outside of marriage are six times more likely to be six times, not 50% more, not 25% more, not 33% more, six times. That's 600%, okay? Six times more likely to be on welfare when they're older than children who are born and raised in intact families with both a mom and a dad. Why is that? How could families, I mean, 
we're wired to think that economic well-being has to do with the stock market and what the, 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 the bankers are doing and the government policy. You know, what's the Bank of Canada going to do with the interest rate? And that's how you get a good economy is, uh, is, is smart people moving economic dials and all this sort of stuff. And we fail to realize that a good economy is directly tied to the amount of healthy families you have. Why is that? How could good families, it just seems weird. If we want to have a good economy, we have to spend more money or whatever. That's what the government tells us. We've got to invest money. We've got to do this. This is how you get a better No, you want a better economy? Invest in family. Why? Because it's in the family, the soil that a human being needs to grow up to be a productive, hardworking person of character, someone who is not a drain on society, but rather a, contrib a contributor, in order to have a good economy, that's what you need, is a society full of people who are mostly contributors and not takers. How do you produce contributors, not takers? It's in the soil of a family. It's in the soil of a family, a place where you have a mom and a dad. There's something about the love there. And we're not talking about perfect families. These statistics are showing us, I mean, the family is far from perfect in North America. My family is far from per perfect. Your families are far from perfect. The family across the board is far from perfect. But just having an intact family changes the numbers massively. Massively. Because that's how God made it. Our society continually thinks the answer is education. And again, we need teachers. We need to teach our kids to read and write. I'm all about that. We're, we're big on teaching our kids and having our kids grow up and appreciate reading and math and, and also well, appreciate their, not quite their joy, but, uh, but, but the, to, to, you know, to learn whether they appreciate it or not. Um, but to learn, I'm big on that. Education is so important, but we think the answer is more education, more learning. In fact, it's actually what they need is a family. We need better families we need more intact families. The fact of the matter is, here in Manitoba now, they passed a law a couple of years ago, it's illegal for, for kids to drop out of school. So all of our kids go to school now. And yet, lots of them still end up in poverty and all kinds of crime and issues. That, and and the, so the differentiating factor isn't did they go to school or not, because they're all going to school or not. They're all going to school. The, the differentiating factor is which kids had the benefit of a mom and a dad. That's what makes the difference. And yet our society is going in the other direction and many Christians, we don't even realize what's going on. We're giving more and more power to the education system and the policymakers, and taking away more and more power from parents. One researcher I read said this, this is from the Corporate Research Council in 2002. They said this, over time, lower rates of marriage. So this is, this is not even a Christian organization. This is just a research uh, council. Over time, lower rates of marriage and high rates of divorce so that's less intact families, lead to fewer highly productive workers. The eventual result is either a labor shortage of skilled, motivated workers and or an increased demand to import disciplined, productive workers from abroad to compensate for the domestic sh shortfall. And, and so this is, what, this is what the statistics are telling us. But it's, so it's economic well-being, it's, it's crime. When you have families, it, this is how God made society to function. When you have good families, society just works. And it even impacts physical health. This one blew me away. Um, I, I wish I had time to go through a whole bunch of st statistics. It's mind-blowing. People who are from intact families, people who live in intact families, have, get cancer less. They recover from cancer more quickly. You think, what does that have to do with anything? Because we were made for families. We were made for relationships. It's not mind-blowing. They actually found um, people from intact families produce, naturally produce more antibodies, which is what keeps them from getting, which keeps them from getting sick. 
It, you, 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 get, you have more resistance to sickness. I could read dozens and dozens and dozens of stats. You say, what's the difference between this person and this person? One has a mom and a dad, and that act actually changes them physically. And again, if you're here and you're a single parent or whatever, it's not doom and gloom. You can pray. You can love your kids. It's not all over for you. It's far from all over, okay? And God, God, I mean, God knows we live in a broken world, and it's not all over. But again, this is just how God made things. Men living in intact families are four times less likely to die than otherwise, okay? So a bunch of you guys need to write that down right now and just get married. <laughs> Don't be so choosy. Never mind. I, why did I say that? <laughs> just give her. Uh... Keep going here. There are 10 times, <laughs> men living in intact families, 10 times less likely to die because of external violence, 13 times less likely to die from, from falling. <laughs> that one just caught me. I was like, that's it. I got to just read that. <laughs> I don't know why. Five times less likely to die from suicide, 19 times less likely to die from addiction. When controlling for various factors, including socioeconomic status, researchers found that being part of an intact, healthy family is one of the biggest factors impacting a person's physical health and mortality. We could save ourselves billions of dollars in spending on the medical system if we had better families. Another quote here I wanted to read, I'll put up there. It's just mind-blowing. Some of these quotes are just unbelievable. A wide body of social science literature characterized marriage as a powerful protector of public health. This is uh, Mary Gallagher, a, a researcher. Children raised by their own two married parents lived longer, like think about that, had fewer illnesses and accidents and enjoyed better health than children raised outside of intact marriages. Both men and women who stay married enjoyed powerful health advantages, longer lives, better health, better managed chronic illness, less likely to require extensive hospitalization and nursing uh, home care, and became disabled less often than single or divorced people. And again, I want to continue to repeat, this is not a message against single people. The Apostle Paul was single. Jesus himself was single. The prophet Jeremiah was single. There's different callings, and things happen, and, 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 and just different things in life. This is not about everybody must absolutely be married. But the point is, again, God made human beings for the family. And the family is the building block of society, and it should be the default position. It should be the default position. Now, the question is, biblically, why is that? And the reason is because God himself started with the family. God didn't start by creating government institutions, right? When we read in Genesis, it does not say, and then, you know, God created Adam. It's not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to create the welfare system. Or uh, it's not good that Adam should be alone. I'm going to create a police force to keep him company. It's not, that's not what God started with, right? I mean, it's obvious, but sometimes we just miss. We miss the obvious for what our society is telling us is important. Genesis 2, 18 to 24, when God started everything, he started with the family, specifically marriage. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay? So the first building block relationship created by God, or that God created, was marriage. That's what he created. Okay? Human beings have created various institutions, government institutions, and we need them. As human beings, as we've grown, as a population grows, you need different ways of organizing things. Okay? 
Uh, and so that certainly is ultimately from God as well, okay? But human beings create government institutions. God created the family. In fact, there's only two institutions that God, that God himself directly created or, or invented or whatever, and that is the family and that is the church. Everything else is man-made, okay? The family and the church, those are the only two that God directly made himself, so those two are non-negotiable. Everything else is negotiable. Everything else is, I mean, we happen to live in a, you know, democracy, so that, but really, that's not, you know, that's not tied in stone. You must absolutely run your country as a democracy. There's many different ways you could run it. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to live in a democracy. For those of you who just love democracy so much, I mean, I like it better than a lot of the other junk that's out there in the world today, but when Jesus comes back, we will not vote every four years who wants Jesus to be God still. I mean, it's going to be a monarchy, one king, no voting, forever. And it'll be awesome. Far better than democracy, okay? So I love democracy in a broken world, but it's not, but democracy is just a human invention. You could do, there's different kinds of democracy, and you can do different things. Uh, that's not set in stone. However, you, you know, a country wants to organize itself, that's how it's going to do it. There's only two institutions that are from God that you can't play with, and that's the family, and that's the church. Those are the two that are from God. We need the other ones still, but those are the ones that are ordained by God, and those are the ones that we actually need to make a nation work. Genesis 1.28, we see out of the fa- even the very fabric of, of nature itself, marriage isn't just some, see, you know, democracy, we can have different kinds of democracy, as I just said, but when it comes to marriage, nature itself confirms that marriage is one man and one woman, right? And it's just biology, It's just the physical nature of things. You need a man and a woman to conceive. You need a man and a woman to conceive. It's just in nature. So nature confirms the design. Other human institutions, you can play with them, you can redefine them, you can do whatever you want because they're not part of nature. But, But the institutions God has made, it's actually even ingrained, the family is ingrained in nature itself. Genesis 128, And God blessed them, the man and the woman, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there we have the family. A man and a woman come together and then they have children. And this is God's design for how human beings would be organized and how they would cover the earth. It's through the family. Confirmed by nature, confirmed by statistics. So, okay, so the Bible, so we see in nature, man and woman, children. We see in statistics, you have a man and a woman, you have children together, society does better. You would think, okay, in light of this, in light of nature, in light of the many statistics, and we could look, we could spend hours on the statistics, statistics that would really surprise you, all the different ways in which the family benefits people and society. And so you would think in light of all these statistics, and you would think of, in light of the fact that nature itself confirms it, you would think, then our society must love families, Right? That's what you would think. Our, our, our movies and our music industry must just love the family. They must build up the family every chance they get because ultimately better families means more money for their industries. You would think the government must be just beside itself trying to help more families. Let's have more couples commit to each other rather than cohabiting. Let's have more couples get married. And let's encourage those couples to have kids. And let's encourage those couples that they don't both have to work all the time, but that one of them can even stay home and, and, and be with the kids if they so desire. You would think that our government and our media would encourage these things since the statistics and nature itself both show that this is good for them. But in fact, we find the opposite. We find that our music and our movies 
espouse values of promiscuity and lack of commitment and, and, and self-centered hedonism. We find that our government, too, pursues policies that encourages families uh, not to commit, that, encourage, that, that blesses people for doing things that don't match up with this. We find that people even look down on the family, that they pursue careers instead. I mean, our whole culture pursues values in many ways opposite to the family. You would think, why would a culture do that? It's actually suicidal. It's suicidal to its own self, a culture that pursues opposite to, to the family is actually a culture that will eventually kill itself. Why would a culture do that? When we have statistics in nature, why would we pursue opposite to our own self-good? I think there are many reasons for this, but ultimately I think it points to the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. I think it's, it can't be explained simply by, you know, people just don't know better. I think it has to be explained by the fact that there is an evil one behind this and that he hates the family. Ephesians 6, verse 11 to 12 says this. Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, 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 our wrestling is not against people. Okay, It's expressed through people, but our, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the fact that our culture and our media pursue values and, and try to convince people that the traditional family is not, is not a good thing or, 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 or is only one thing out of many things, you can try all kinds of different things. The fact that it does that is not because people have come up with this idea. It actually shows us the existence of a deeper evil at work and an intelligence intelligence, uh, Satan, who is against the family. Now you say, why would Satan, of all, the, you know, of all the things to be against, he's got all kinds of things he's working on, why would he so specifically target the family? Why is he against the family so much? I think there's many reasons. As I was thinking this week, but I'm only going to look at one, but there's many we could look at. I mean, just plain, he hates the health and happiness of us human beings. He just hates us as people. And so anything that brings so much happiness and health to human beings is bad to him. Okay? Also, the family is... I mean, you go throughout history, whenever you have a, a government, an evil government come to power that will, has an agenda that they want to push, and you watch this in our own future, in our own country, but anytime you have a government that's pushing an agenda, one of the things they do in order to be able to push their agenda more, more uh, effectively is they try to break down the family. They try to take power out of the family. They try to get straight to the kids. You look at Nazi Germany. You look at, uh, you know, Maoist China and the communists in Russia and different things throughout all history. When you have a tyrannical government who wants to, who wants to bend the people to their will, to their own idea of what should be done. It's the family, even non-Christian families that stand in the way because it's in the family that moms and dads teach more traditional values. Even if they're not Christian, just a family tends to be, to create an environment of love and discipline that tends to be against those sorts of tyrannical ideas. And so wherever you have tyranny, you will find people wanting to break down the family because the family just naturally tends to stand in the way of tyranny. So just based on that alone, the devil hates these things, okay? But I want to look at only one thing, why the devil hates the family so much. And I believe primarily one of the biggest reasons he hates the family so much is because the family bears the image of God in some profound ways like nothing else on earth. The family unit bears the image of God 
in some of the most profound ways, in some of the deepest ways of anything else on the earth, even non-believing families. I'm not just talking about Christian families, and I'm not talking about perfect families. No family is perfect. But even, even a bad family, an unhealthy family, a family that doesn't believe in God, those sorts of things, every family, by nature of its design, ends up preaching a message to the earth about the glory of God and who he is. And I want to show this to you, and I think, because I think it's one of the biggest things why Satan hates the family. We start with the image of God in every individual human being. Genesis 1, verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Okay, so this is a famous passage after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is a famous passage. Most of us, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know about this. The fact that we as human beings, each one of us as individuals, is made in the image of God. And so as a result of this, Christian, you know, for centuries, uh, Christian theology has taught every human being is, is special, every human being is valuable, we should treat human, every human being with dignity, we should be cautious about human life, because every human being bears some of the imprint of God himself. Whether you're a believer or not, it doesn't matter, it's not only Christians that bear the image of God, even non-believers bear the image of God, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a human being, you bear the image of God. God has put certain things inside of us as human beings, it's different than the animals. We, we behave differently than animals most of the time, um, hopefully, but there's creativity, there's love, there's moral choices, there's all kinds of things that go into what makes a human being different than an animal, and all of that, it just kind of touches on this thing of God has taken some of his characteristics, and he has put them into us as human beings. We are made in the image of God, okay? But then I want you to notice something else in there. So every human being is made in the image of God, but then there's something else. If we, I want to just underline there uh, the next one, Dave. Male and female, he created them, Okay? So every human being is made in the image of God. Now the interesting thing is, you've got the two genders now. You've got the male and you've got the female. Both are made in the image of God, okay? So that means that, that there are things about, the, about males, about men, about boys, okay? There are things about us men that reflect something about who God is that women do not reflect. And equally on the other side, um, that is that women, females, reflect aspects of God. The female gender reflects aspects of God that a man cannot reflect. Okay? So both male and female are creating the image of God. Now, the, the spectacular thing about this is, this is why in marriage, marriage is such a powerful thing. When you bring a man and a woman to become one flesh, they can now more fully image God than a single person can. Because any individual person, uh, obviously, we can only, we can only reflect one aspect or one aspect, you know, gender aspect of who God is, but you bring them together, male and female, in one flesh, this actually gives us a more full picture of who God is than any individual person can ever do. Well, in addition to that, not just the male-female thing, but the fact of the matter is, God himself, and we've talked about this quite a bit in the last few months, I preached a message just several weeks ago about this, where I touched on the Trinity, God himself lives in a Trinity, three persons in one. So for all of eternity, God has never been alone. He's not, he's not a solitary figure within himself, and we don't get it all. It is mystery. And someday we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to see God, and we're just going to be, wow, blown away. Way better than Chris's messages. Far better. Far, far better. Okay? So there's a lot of mystery there. 
But somehow God in his existence is three persons living in relationship for all of eternity. He's never been lonely. He's always existed in relationship within himself, okay? Which makes the marriage thing, again, how could one single person get, bear the image of a God who is three persons in one? But in a marriage, you have two people become one. You have both the male and the female gender, both reflecting aspects of God. And so in marriage, you have this idea even of multiple persons becoming one, and we have an, a more full picture of this incredible God that we serve. It's unbelievable. But then this goes even deeper, and this is, again, the family bears the image of God in the most profound ways, and we often miss it. Because this God, right, who loves us, is a, he, he, he creates out of nothing. He brings life out of non-life. What happens in a marriage? You bring a man and a woman together, and out of, that, out of their love is they bring children into the world. Okay? And again, I just, a little caveats here again. I'm not saying every couple must have children. Some couples, and it's sad, we're in a broken world, they can't have children. Other couples have various reasons why they don't. So this is not me. Don't, don't be sitting here uh, feeling really bad about yourself uh, uh, right now in this, okay? Because again, we live in a broken world and different things happen, okay? But my point is, as a general rule, this is how God made things. A man and a wife come together in marriage. You have two becoming one. This is an incredible image of God. But even how it models God even more is out of their love, Love comes new life. I mean, did you ever think about that? That a husband and wife can actually make a choice, let's have kids, and they can bring into existence a new soul that will live forever into eternity. I mean, he didn't even give that to angels. That is, that is a stunning responsibility. That is a stunning responsibility that he's given to human beings. I will let you make choices to bring into existence new human beings made in my image who will live forever and ever and ever. And yet again, this is still a picture of God. He is the God who brings things into life. He is the God who creates out of nothing. And in marriage, we have the male and the female together, two becoming one, and out of their love comes new life. And just like God is three in one, you now have a male and a female, and you have children. You have three or whatever more becoming one in the family unit. It's profound. And the picture just goes on and on. If it wasn't for families, how would we ever know what a father is? God is a father, but if we didn't have families, how would we ever ever know what a father looks like? How would we ever know what father love looks like? You know, just for me, even just becoming a dad nine years ago was a profound experience for me to under, begin to understand God's heart for me. Because it was when I became a dad that I suddenly realized, you know, if someone came up on stage here and pointed a gun at my head, I, I, would, I, I wouldn't like it. I'd be scared, okay? I don't, I don't deny, uh, deny that, okay? But if someone pointed a gun at my kids, I have not even a question in my mind. I would run to get in between them and the gun. It's not even a question. Why? Because I'm super brave? No. If someone pointed a gun at me, I'd be scared out of my wits. Someone points a gun at my kids, though, something goes, boing, just snaps in my brain. I want to take the bullet. Why? That's a father's heart. But we could never... Now, God is called a father... So that tells us something profound about God. But if we didn't have families to experience it and see it for ourselves, we wouldn't know his heart. So the family models that. The family, the mother, models the mother heart of God. I, I wish I had time. I could take you through a whole bunch of scriptures in the Bible that compare God to a mother. The nurturing care of a mother and the loving tenderness of a mother are in God. Where did that come from? He didn't just make that up. It came out of himself. He made moms. And so there are so many ways in which the family teaches us about God. Even broken families 
even though none of us is perfect, and yes, sin mars this, and there's abuse and adultery and divorce, and all that is part of Satan's plan to make the picture of God murky. But even in the sinful murkiness of all, the image of God still shines through, even in our nation. The most godless people still, for the most part, like to go home at Christmas and hang out with their families. You read the National Geographic magazine, and they go around the world taking pictures of different cultures, and usually what do you see? Pictures of families together doing cultural things things, eating together, and all these sorts of things. So even in a broken, sinful world, even the broken, sinful family is able to shine the goodness of God through all the sin and abuse and brokenness. It's the image of God, and Satan hates it. See, every family is preaching a message about God, whether they know it or not. It's a profoundly spiritual act to be married. It's not the only thing. Again, there's, there's other callings. Jesus himself said, some are called to be single. Paul said it too. Paul himself was single. So it's not that being married and having kids is the only calling out there. Don't hear me saying that. But it is one of the most profound and most spiritual and most important callings anybody can have on earth is just to get married and to have kids. And we overlook it. We overlook it in our search for greatness because our culture, uh, 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 you know, attunes us for a certain thing and we just take it into our Christianity. So many people are looking to do great things for God. And what we forget is that what is great to God and what is great to us are often two completely different things. I want to do great things. I want to do great ministry. Well, that's good. I love that heart that you want to do great things for God. But in your search to do something great, yes, your calling might not be to have a family. There are people who are not called to that. But the fact that we just overlook that one automatically in our search for greatness because we think this is the mundane, this is the ordinary, one of the most powerful things you can do to advance the kingdom of God and to assault the gates of hell itself is just to go home and start a family. It's just true. Satan's not attacking everything else, but he is attacking the family. That should tell us something about what he knows about the family. What does he know that many Christian young people do not know today? Who think the family, that's boring. I want an exciting life. I want to travel. I want to do ministry. And Satan knows, oh, yes, please do something else. Please do something else. But don't start a family and don't encourage other people to start families. Because that is truly an affront to him and to his kingdom. Each family on earth is preaching a message about God. And that's why one of our core values here at Southland is to support and disciple families. We do this in a number of ways, lots of different ways. One of the mysteries I just wanted to talk about just briefly today uh, is just one example of some of the stuff that we do. But that is our, our Salem. Many of you who are here today, your moms, you already know what this is because 165 of you were in it this last year. But Salem is a ministry we have here to moms. And the whole goal of the ministry is to disciple moms. It's, some people think of it as a, as a kid's ministry. It's not a kid's ministry. It's just moms come with kids. So you've got to do something with them other than put them in, all in straitjackets in a padded room. So, <laughs> so they do some crazy good stuff with the kids. But, um, but it's, it's not for kids. That's secondary. It's for moms. The whole goal of the ministry is to disciple moms to, to be encouraged to know that what they are doing is one of the most profound, important things they could do and to do it more effectively to raise up godly children for the Lord, it's, it's one of the most powerful. And just based on that, but people say, oh, it's just a little mom's ministry. What's the exciting stuff that you guys are doing? Well, we are doing lots of other stuff too. But we, our tendency is, you know, what's the stuff you're doing out there? And yes, all that is very important. We do that too, but we often miss. It just shows what our cultural perception is. What are the really important ministries? Oh, that's cute. You have a little mom's ministry. Actually, that is a big part of the ministry. 
It's the family. That was God's plan. God said, this is a big deal. That's the ministry you find in Genesis 1 and 2 at the very beginning of the Bible. You want to know what's the first ministry? The first ministry is ministry to the family. So that's powerful. So practical, what can we do? So let's make this a little practical. I'll just give you three little things. And the third thing will be more than just a little thing, but that's my prerogative because I'm preaching. Um, and some of you are sitting here today and, and you're going, oh, I don't have a family yet. And I'm, or I'm not married yet, or I, I never did get married. And again, this is all God uses you and different callings. That's amazing. But many of you are going to go home today, and you're going to go home uh, to your family because it's Mother's Day. And, uh, and, and so there's, there's still things we can do to build into our families. Even if you aren't a parent, you can, you can encourage your parents. You can encourage your, your siblings. You can reach your siblings for Christ. You can pray for them. You can, you can still build into family. We're all part of a family. But uh, three practical things today is those of you who are parents, take a book or are married, take a book out of the library this week. We have an amazing section in our library on marriage and parenting. And, and just take out a book this week. And maybe you haven't thought about this much in the last little while, but again, one of the most spiritual things you can do, one of the most powerful things you can do is go home today and minister in your family. Just become a better parent, become a better husband or wife. You don't need to look out there for some great thing to do for God. That already right there, you will do damage to Satan's kingdom. Just become a better dad, a better mom, better husband, a better wife. Second thing I would encourage you to do, do listening prayer this week. Jesus, give me one practical thing to start doing this week to take my marriage or my family another step closer to godliness and unity. And then the last one I want to just highlight, I want to take about five minutes here, and I want to highlight family dinners. And I've talked about this in the past, but over the past 15 years, tons of research has been done. Tons of research. And not just even by, you know, Christian organizations like Focus on the Family. It actually started with a bunch of university, uh, secular university studies that started a little over a decade ago. And they've been doing tons of research ever since. But they have found that uh, children who eat dinners with, together with their whole family five times a week, it absolutely uh, changes their life in so many different ways eating dinner together as a family. They found that kids who eat dinner together with their families five times a week are four times less likely to smoke, uh, half as likely to try alcohol, 50% less likely to try drugs or have weight problems later in life just from eating together as a family, okay? And again, I, I got to always put in the caveats. I know some of you are here today, you have a certain career or a certain thing to put bread on the table. Maybe you're not able to be around uh, five dinners a, a week in your family, okay? So this is not, again, a legalistic, oh, it's hopeless, I just gave up. Okay, make two work, make three work, whatever, make, make a breakfast work, phone home, Skype from the truck, I don't know, okay? I don't know what's possible these days anymore. I still don't have a cell phone, but I'm sure you can do amazing things with them. <laughs> well, I have them, you know, if you can't do amazing things with them. Um, so this isn't about legalism, but the fact, but this is just the stats. Whatever you can do, great. It's not you're doomed if you can't get to five every single week. Don't hear it that way, but it's just statistics. And this is what, what, it, it, what it means is fam, to get, families, when they're together, you eat food together. This is why God created food. So many of us are in a rush, just uh, scarf it down. And we've lost the ability to have conversations in many of our families and so we just wow, scarf down a bunch of food and, and everybody's grouchy or watch TV or play on your cell phone as you're eating and then you're done and you actually just miss. This is why God made food, to bring people together. It's to bring people together. And the statistics, the secular statistics show it. You bring, you bring children together with their families 
And it's just a God-given opportunity every day to get them together and to be a family together. It's not the eating that's magic. It's the discussion and the talking that actually changes kids' lives, changes their physical health, changes their mental health, spiritual health, changes everything. And uh, it's powerful. And uh, I know, again, some, some people, they've lost, uh, we've lost the art of conversation, but if you can be a little bit intentional, I remember this last week, uh, we often at our dinner table, uh, our kids are nine, six, four, and one. And uh, so obviously the one-year-old doesn't contribute much to the discussions. He growls a lot. Um, my my four-year-old makes some contri- contributions that are a little strange. And, uh, but the other two, they're, you know, they're starting to get it. But if you just think about it a lot, one of the things we do, we often just share, uh, sh- you know, go around the table, share one emotion from the day, or share a highlight from the day. But even that, you don't want to do it every day. It kind of gets boring. This last week, I uh, brought one discussion question home was, uh, if you could go, you know, if you could had one wish, you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? And you, you go around the table, and you get some interesting answers when your kids are our age. But one of the interesting things was my, my oldest daughter, Joy, Sure, she had, she had an answer immediately. Just immediately, she had an answer. And she said, uh, Clearwater Aquarium in Florida. And I'm like, what? Um, I wasn't expecting something so specific. Well, it turns out, I've always known she loves dolphins. I mean, uh, she, she likes dolphins, but I didn't know how much she loved dolphins. Those of you who ever watched the, the movie Dolphin Tale, it's a true story about this dolphin. Loses his tail, they got these kids, and they put a prosthetic on him, and and they save his life. She's like, I, I, I just, she loves dolphins. She's like, well, you know, as we got into conversation, you stir up your kids' dreams. You're not just sitting scarfing down your food. You, you're getting a heart open. You see what excites them. Man, that was, I said a little on after, oh, what a fun supper that was when you get into your, your kids' dreams. What is it that they love? And you do that through questions. Be creative. Ask questions. Get into their lives. Share your own dreams. Share stories. How did you guys fall in love? You know, mom and dad, how'd you fall in love? Share that story with your kids. How did, you know, how did you name them? You know, what did, so there's all kinds of things you can do. You open this up, and however old your kids are, it's amazing. My, my son actually, back to the dolphin thing, he mentioned that he would like to marry the girl in that movie because she was pretty, so that was sort of a whole other discussion. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, that's good too, right? I mean, he's just, okay, well, let's talk about this, you know? Um, but that's all stuff that happens around the dinner table, Right? And it's fun, and it's great, and uh, it'll change your life. And if you want creative ideas, I found this great website. It's called thefamilydinnerproject.org, and I'll just toss it up there. You can take a picture of it or, or whatever, but it's called thefamilydinnerproject.org, and they have tons of ideas for making, well, and their whole goal is it's all based off this research. It's a whole uh, project. It's aimed at helping families take advantage of dinner times again. They've got discussion questions you can ask, tons and tons and tons, age-appropriate ones. They've got other ideas for making dinner time come alive. But I think this one practical thing, you want to take a slug at the devil this week, let's make our family dinners a little better. Let's make them a little more loving. Let's get into each other's lives a bit more. And by building your families, you're actually going to end up building the kingdom of God. So let's pray, and, and then we'll sing, and then we'll be done. Lord, I thank you for families. I thank you for all of our moms here today. pray that you would fill our moms with your Holy Spirit, that you encourage them with with joy and strength, that what they're doing is important. Sometimes they feel alone. Sometimes they feel exhausted. Sometimes they feel overwhelmed. But to know, God, that what they are doing in the day-to-day, what they are doing, doing when they do all that laundry and they help those little kids and they're up in the middle of the night, that, God, what they are doing is a direct affront to Satan and his kingdom. And they are engaged in the front lines of a spiritual war that Satan hates. 
And so I thank you for the family. I pray that this church, Lord, that we could build families. We could help families be better. We could help families be more godly and more loving. And that out of building strong families in this church, Lord, the combination of strong families with a strong church, is that's, that's, that's unbeatable. That's unbeatable. Fill with your Holy Spirit. That is an unbeatable combination. And I pray that we could experience that combination here at Southland. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.